All right, welcome everybody to this episode of Breaking Absolutes. I am Peter Orulian. Um, this is my show. This is really mostly conversation that I get to have with artists that I think are doing um, really important work inside the rock and metal genre, um, such that it deserves a broader audience. So I like to have these conversations to dimensionalize these artists in service of um, hoping that we'll bring more uh, listeners, because I think the music is, um, while it's it's um, does a, f- a fantastic job of appealing to its core audience, it, it's um, it's got more legs than that. Um, and so, in interest of that, today I get to talk to Simone Mularone. Uh I don't have a fantastic Italian accent, so uh, it doesn't sound as sexy when I say it as when he says it. But today we're gonna uh, talk to Simone. Uh, who who I want to set up a little bit for you in case it's a name you're unfamiliar with. Um, so he uh, originally founded, um, did all the, the writing and composition, and is was the guitarist for his band called Imperios. Um, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't familiar with this band, um, but when I um, convinced Simone to come on the show to talk to me, I went and listened to this music. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a little fun little story. Is as soon as I had gotten pretty far into it, um, I sent him a note and I said, "I think for want of one element, this band would have exploded." And we'll talk about that when we get to uh, that part of his career. Um, uh, a lot of folks will probably know him best for his work with DGM. Uh, he joined that band uh, midstream, uh, but really, in some ways, put a stamp on it that took it to new places. Um, he does their composition. Uh, he's obviously the guitar player, um, and that brought him, I think, a lot of notoriety that led to other things. Um, he has, uh, with DGM, they did some really great um, touring. I mean, they've toured all over the world, but they uh, supported Symphony X on the Icon- on Iconoclast tour. It's just an example of the sort of nod from other progressive metal acts who recognized the, the quality of the material and wanted to um, you know, bring it to new audiences. Um, the most recently I saw this just yesterday, I think, um, Mark Zonder, uh, did a shout out. Uh, they were looking for someone to engineer their, the new a, a to Z record and I'll paraphrase, but he looked across eight different, um, engineers, uh, to do that production work, um, from guys who had won all kinds of awards to folks they knew, but maybe didn't have quite the reputation and just then listened back to what they heard and they chose Simone for the new A to Z record. I see that says something. Uh, I think that says something. That's uh, that's Zonder and, and Ray Alder um, pairing back up again to do some really great uh, music. Um, we're going to get to a lot of this stuff, but just quickly um, to, to give you a teaser, he's worked with Redemption, uh, Lelu, Sunstorm. He wrote the first Sweet Oblivion record uh, that Jeff Tate sang on. Um, he's worked with uh, Leone Conte, or Conti, I hope I'm saying that right, um, duo, which is a lot like that Alan Yorn duo with two great vocalists kind of just doing amazing work. Um, and in a few days, the new Michael Romeo record, which I had Michael on the show not too long ago. Um, Simone is the guy behind the, the engineering board on that record and did a fantastic job, and we'll talk to him about that. There's a lot more, but I wanted to give you a flavor of the man before we bring him on. Uh, but let's do that now and have the conversation. Simone, Welcome. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, man. I didn't, uh, I really wasn't so familiar with your name. Um, 
I think DGM, which we'll get to in a minute, is a criminally under-recognized um, band. Uh, like I, I, um, I did a very short stint, by which I mean one rehearsal for a um, Dream Theater cover band. Um, we were just kind of goofing around, and um, but the 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 guy in that the keyboard player mentioned you guys. I said I've never heard of them, and then I went and found your music and was just floored. So um, whoever's doing publicity for you guys could probably do more. <laughs> 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 but um, but then when you and I got talking, and just so you know, the genesis of this is um, after I did the Michael Romeo uh, interview. Um, I was kind of looking at the team and I found your name there and I just reached out. You were very gracious to, to talk to me about a number of things. Um, and when I started to realize how much amazing music that we all listen to, you've touched either as a guitarist or a composer or as a producer and engineer, I was kind of blown away. And um, so then eager to have you on the show. So that's my, my backstory. So again, thank you and welcome. Um, no, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's uh, this is gonna be fun. Um, let me know real quick up front. Do you have any time constraints so I can be sure I'm managing? No, 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 okay. no, no. Just we won't go forever. But I, I, uh, I, I need to know if I need to cut it off somewhere so that I know how to. No, no, no problem. Because I've got six pages of notes, my friend. Um, oh wow! <laughs> when, when I started going through the music, um, you know, of course, this this scratches a particular itch for me because because it's the kind of music that I love. But there was so much um, to commend itself. And so I just, you know, anyway, we uh, I'll be judicious with the time, but I wanted to know uh, up front. So um, you began life as a, as a it, you know, in music um, with Imperios. But you one of the things that's been a constant behind the scenes, I think, and you can keep me honest on this, is you've always been working uh, as sort of an engineer and producer. Have you not from the very beginning? Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, I think it was the reason why I became a, an engineer and a producer was basically because I was searching for a place to record my first, very first EP, you know, like the demo that you give to the label to search for the contract and yeah. whatever. Like every band in the world did this, you know, right? So I remember when I was kind of 17 or 18, 18 we formed a band with the with the you know, school friends, you know, like schoolmates. And I needed a singer, so I found a singer in the next classroom, and then I needed a, a drummer, and I found, a, you know, like usual stuff. But then we we had this big studio, I mean, not big studio, this studio that everybody was going to, like one hour from, from my hometown, but it was like booked forever, like for one year. And we want, we didn't want to wait, so I just, I was messing around with, with computers, like, you know, like the first sound cards, like Sound Blaster, I guess, I guess it was. Yeah, called. yeah. You could, you could record like one track. Yeah. And I was already back then, like, like messing with the MIDI files, you know, like programming, backing tracks and stuff like that. And then I decided to, why don't, why don't I record myself, even if it's like a new thing for me? So I started, you know, like to contact friends. And you know, back then I'm not that old, but back then there wasn't like the, the like Google to search things and presets <laughs> and stuff like that. So it was like, I remember it was like a shitty demo with with a, with a few tracks, but it was my first experience, and I enjoyed 
actually like now, like 20 years later, I still enjoy half of my time playing and recording music and the other half like producing and mixing. It's the same. It's a balance that I, I like to keep yeah. in between the, the both worlds. So yeah. Well, you, you've had the band, um, the band started. Yeah, the band started at the same time as my passion for, for recording and mixing. Well, you've had, um, I mean, by all accounts, you've had equal part success at both, which is um, really unique. Um, and your I think that your um, uh, your name is growing, um, and it's because the, I think it is. I, I I think the work is um, commending itself to more and more artists. And, um, uh, and so when we'll get into some of that, as we start going through, um, going through the music, the, but I have to know, I mean, this is kind of a remedial question, but what was the, what was the entry point? What was the gateway for you into rock and metal? Was there a particular, was it a, an instrument? Was it a particular influence like it, that set you on this path? I think it was because my father plays guitar. He has a band. He's playing like '70s kind of rock, like Eric Clapton kind of thing. And I, I mean, I grew up surrounded by this, those vinyls, you know, like like. And he and he's a big fan of Deep Purple and Rainbow. Yeah, that's not heavy metal, but that's my first. And I re, I still remember the first Van Halen uh, LP, you know, that that he was pinning every day at home. So I was always surrounded by that, but. I remember until I play, I started playing guitar. So until my, I was like 16 when I started, I was more into pop. Like I'm still a big fan of Michael Jackson. He's one of my favorite artists. You know, I know yeah. every song like word by word. But then when I started playing guitar and I was learning all the Deep Purple songs, tunes, and you know, like all the 70s rock, I think that led me to maybe my my guitar teacher at the time he played me some Ingve and steve Vai, you know all the guitar heroes from the 80s and 90s and that was my like mind-blowing for me like oh people can really play like that yeah. <laughs> i was like you know struggling with two notes trying to to mimic all the riffs and then from there you know like meeting meeting friends and uh, at school and university later on i I met a lot of friends, you know, some, somebody was more into the heavy side, you know, my bass player and still my buddy, Simone from Imperius. And he was more into Fear Factory, never more like all the heavy things. And I was, we were constantly exchanging records like, hey, you have to listen to this Queenstrike band. Oh, I never heard of him. And then, you know, but may, basically I think it was the Guitar Heroes thing. And that was... I mean, I really stopped loving the the only instrumental music after a few years. You know, you know, I got bored because yeah. now I, I I like songs, even if it's like twenty minute songs, progressive, but it, it, with a lot of instrumentals. But I still like to have and to listen to the choruses, big choruses, and melodic. Yeah. So I think I think the major breakthrough was like Yngwie, and later on when I discovered Dream Theater and Symphony X uh, pretty much at the same time, you know, it, it was it was early 2000, so like I still remember the, the first show of Dream Theater, I saw the Scenes for a Memory tour, and, and it was mind-blowing, like, like absolutely killer, and 
maybe I I I I, I went to more towards Symphony X because they had this like heavier, you know, like like heavier side, and I love and my favorite singer is Russell since forever. Yeah. So it's and yeah, those bands are mainly uh, like Ingve in the beginning, and then Symphony X are my main breakthrough and i skipped all the you know like the classic like iron maiden metallica i was never you know every metal head of my age was starting listening by megadeth and metallica i really skipped that part i mean yeah. i mean i know every song by now you know because sure. you, 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 it's impossible to not know the songs but i was more in the in the technical like progressive shredding kind of things in the beginning yeah yeah, I I um I had much the same journey. I I I was listening to a lot of new wave music, um, mm. you know, Tears for Fears and Duran Duran and um, you know, bands like that. And then all of a sudden, I heard what was really popular in the United States was what is now uh, sort of known as hair metal, and okay. I uh, I started listening to some of those groups. They were all over the radio, and but it was only a very short amount of time before I heard Queensrÿche. And, um, it was, it, you know, it was game changing mostly because I love the music, but because the, the vocal approach was different. And, um, so I, 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 I skipped a, a lot of the stuff that seems foundational, you know, that I know now, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so I get it, I get it. Uh, and I share some, a lot of those same tastes. Um, let's start talking about your music and let's start with Imperios. So you kind of described this was friends, your high schoolers, you decide you're going to put together a band. Um, and you did uh, a number of album. You, you, um, there are a number of trade magazines that described you guys as best newcomers, um, really saw you as emerging pretty powerfully on the scene. Um, in that band is, am I right that, that the, the compositional duties were largely yours or were the, is it more collaborative? Yeah. It, no, no, it was like, uh, it's a story of all my career as a musician. I was never able to find someone to, I mean, no, let's put it, let's put it the other way, the real way. Like I'm too control freak on things. And I was so prolific at the time. I mean, that was always my, my, my project. You know, it, it was, it started like every, every song was, was, I just wrote the song in my in my room and I'm programming the drums and then playing the bass and then programming the keyboards. So it was mainly my thing. But then, I mean, initially it was really like schoolmates. Then after a few years, we, we changed the lineup a little bit and we found this great, amazing drummer, the now, Dario, that now lives in New York. And... Uh, and from that point, we it became a little bit more professional. So we were we were exchanging more ideas, and so the more we grew up as a band, the more it was a collaborative effort, you know. Like, but but I gotta say, like ninety percent of the time it was my my song, yeah, in a good or a bad way. I mean, it's not <laughs> <laughs> like good songs or bad songs. So is that, is uh, does that extend to the vocals too, the vocal lines and lyrics? No, I mean, that the lyrics always has been my, I do say in English, my weaker, weaker point. I was never able to, to write good lyrics. And so 
when I talk about composition, I'm always talking about music and vocal lines. I mean, vocal lines, I always, even with DGM, I always like to write them together with the singer because to me, it's crucial that the singer sing stuff that he wrote because yeah. otherwise you end up writing, you know, like two high notes, two low notes, and, and it's a struggle for the singers sometimes. So, I mean, I always want to be present when we write vocal lines, but I always listen to the singer. If he tells me, Oh no, maybe this this one is too high. Let's find something different. Yeah. But yeah, I I always wrote pretty much everything except for the lyrics because my bass player in Imperio Simone was writing all the lyrics with together with the drummer. Same now with DGM, bass player and drummer, they're writing the lyrics. I don't know if it's a common thing, you know, like bass players and drummers <laughs> write lyrics, but it is in my story at least. <laughs> I think I heard the story that Ozzy does that. It's just known if you're doing an Aussie record, if you're the bass player, you're going to write the lyrics. <laughs> okay. So, so, so it's a, it's a like, uh, it's a thing. Uh, I, I, I'm happy to hear you the way you describe the, the vocalist part, because when I've been in, in a number of bands, um, I always, I always say when I kind of, if I'm coming into band or forming a band, it's, it's hard to get emotionally invested in vocal lines. Uh, and for me, lyrics, cause I'm also a writer that I'm not a part of creating. Um, and you also don't know, unless you're the vocalist, you know, how the lines are going to work with your voice. So I appreciate like having that awareness is, um, uh, is really great. I'm sure there are other bands that do that, but I know bands that don't, they just write it. And then the singer is expected to, you know, just to do it, whether or not it's um, a good fit for the voice or whether the singer has different ideas about it. So I love the, I love the, uh, latitude that you provide there. Um, let's talk about some of the music. The very, very first record is called And the Rest is Silence. Are you a Shakespeare oh fan? Uh, no, actually, no. <laughs> that I mean, not, not, that I'm, not that I'm a fan. Not a, that I'm not a fan. <laughs> it's just basically I never, I probably read, read nothing <laughs> from him. So it's like. <laughs> well, the only reason I bring it up is I was a, I was a English major. So I had plenty of literature oh, courses. Oh, okay, okay, I, okay. I read most of Shakespeare and that line are, those are the last words that Prince Hamlet utters uh, in the play Hamlet. He says, you know, okay, the, the rest okay, is silent. Okay. So I, I yeah, just, probably I, my bass player. Uh, there you go. That, so yeah, well, kudos to him. It's a cool, it's a cool, <laughs> cool name. Um, the other thing I noted about the, your records and this, this extends to DGM and this is, um, you know, maybe this seems like a, a, um, a passing sort of, acknowledgement but the the cover art is um seems thoughtful uh you know uh, i don't know if you have an art director or if you have concepts for what you want those to be or if you've had help but so many of the records particularly progressive records they seem like these sort of strange abstracts with imagery that they don't really relate to each other and they just seem sort of um photoshopped together in a very poor way you're, the art I like. The first thing I noticed is the the cover artwork like made me look at stare at them and think a little bit. Do you is that is that a, a consideration you have with the how to yeah 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 go ahead. So, I mean, absolutely, you nailed the point because to me, I mean, I I'm I'm really a newbie in in graphics and stuff like that. But my I was lucky enough in Imperius because both my all the cover art in Imperius were, were made by my singer back then, Silvio. 
and is now nowadays is one of the most successful like art director in Italy. It is doing a big, you know, big promotions for big companies like videos, marketing stuff. And the same Simone, the bass player, which he did uh, probably the majority of the DGM covers, even if it's not in DGM, but you know, we're, we're all friends. We're yeah, all yeah. Like, like a team of friends. And we always had the, the luck to find the way to express to the cover artists the, the, the thoughts behind the, the, the songs and the themes. So the only, the only times that we, I remember one of the first or one or two records that we did with DGM, the first one, and the label was forcing us to use a guy, you know, uh, oh, you, got, you guys have to use that guy for the cover. And it was, you know, we were basically imposed the cover from above, right? right? And those are the covers that are, that I'm not happy with because it's like, like you said, like a, maybe a good image, a good Photoshop medley, but it's not what we wanted. So, um, or some other times, I remember we did a cover with DGM. It's totally white with just a domino, you know. That's a great and, one. And it's super mini. Super minimal, yeah. And I remember fighting with the label. Oh, you you should have you know not dragons, but you know you should have all this, all this fantasy kind of thing because it's power metal and it's and we were like no, we have a the songs have a meaning. Maybe yeah. we're not the best expressing the meaning through the lyrics. Basically, I think because we're Italians and it's really <laughs> difficult for for us to express every nuance with the, with with the lyrics, but. Yeah. But I mean, I know when I write some music, I have a visual in my head, you know? So I, I, I don't imagine when I play a riff like the dragon holding a sword, even if I have all the, all the raps of the album and I am a big fan, but it's right. not what I envision when I write myself. Yeah. So we were, we, we were always lucky, I think, to find the right guys. And it's easier for me if you know the guy personally, so you can... I remember for the latest DGM album, we were at the restaurant with the guy, you know, like talking, hey, what do you guys want? Oh, maybe we should talk about this path of, of and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 the, and the first cover that came up was the, was the right one. So it's, it's easier. Yeah, I, I wanted to, for some people, this, this kind of thing doesn't matter, um, but I'm a very visual person. I used to, you spend the first 30 minutes of every day just looking at imagery, whether it's photographs or paintings or um, sketches, because I just find really good work inspiring. So like I, I when I was looking, I, I half expected because you're sort of a progressive metal band, the sort of same kind of cheesy cover that very a lot of them get. Um, and it wasn't that like uh, in, with this one, there's this there's this suggestion in uh, and the rest is silence. There's this suggestion of a skull. It's not like all drawn out um, uh, with definitive lines, but it's present there. But then inside one of the eyes, there's something that's, that's vaguely reminiscent of some sort of nuclear explosion. There's some sort of suggestive thing inside one of the sockets. The, the, um, the articulation of the, of the title is kind of subtle. Like there's, there's so much in that, but it's so artfully put together that uh, it was fun for me just to get spend t some time looking at it. Um, and you mentioned the DGM cover with the dominoes and the, you know, the name of the album's Momentum. I started thinking about the name of the album 
and the fact that these dominoes are falling. And at the end, you've got this silhouetted figure trying kind of to escape. It seems like he's pressed up against the glass, like this momentum yeah, exactly. is somehow going to crush him. Like those are really cool concepts. Like that's, it's almost the kind of thing you would expect from a, a progressive metal band who's by and large, usually lyrics and approach are more, or, or more considered than other, other styles of rock and metal. So I guess that's just a way of me um, saying kudos. I think it's it's cool that you spent some energy on that because for some of us that really matters. Um, okay, in the in the actual first record here, um, one of the things I noted. Okay, so you've got this. Your vocalist has this approach. He does some of the sort of screamo stuff sometimes, and then sometimes he's you know more traditionally singing, um, and he's really good. Um, and I don't, I mean, with all due respect, uh, um, the thing that I think I noticed here is he's a really good singer, but that t sometimes it was my, and this is an opinion, I felt like he didn't sort of uh, match the band as well. Um, exactly. And uh, there's a little part of my brain, this is what I sent you the note about, that said, you know, and it's hard, lineups are hard to get the chemistry and all of those, but I thought, man, one one little bit different element here on on the mic and i think that everybody would know the name imperios like i that's how good yeah. i think that music was thanks thank you very much I mean, but go ahead no 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 go ahead well i i mean i don't mean that as any sort of of um slight on anybody because um you know finding finding right players and the right um um chemistry and all of that um you know, and and there's I think there's a element of luck in all music. You know, who knows? I remember talking to John Petrucci once, and he said I probably wouldn't be talking to you if it wasn't for Pull Me Under because it you know got on the radio oh. and you know was kind of a hit for a while on on the radio. Yeah. So and they didn't know they didn't know that was going to be a hit. So there's a there's a certain degree of luck in there, but the um I was just really the the music of Imperios was um. In some ways, for me, it was um, the best of what progressive kind of means because there was, I had the spirit of in, of invention inside it. Um, um, it wasn't predictable in the kinds of things that you did, and it was always unique. You you have my friend. I'm calling it the Simone signature, uh, and that <laughs> is there's a lot of things you do that are that I've decided are are characteristic of your composition. But one of the things that you do very artfully is intros. And you do them in a v oh. wide variety of ways that bring you into a song by setting a mood and a feeling. Uh, and that began with your earliest work. Is that something that you think about or is that just an instinctive songwriting? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just instinctive, as you said, because I never, you know, sometimes most of, I remember my bass player now in DGM, he always tells me, Oh, you should change the intro because it's always every song starts like with a guitar, and I was like, "Oh, you're right," you know, like the <laughs> rock and roll slide. While some other times I have like this two minutes set up with electronics and whatnot. So I guess it's it's up, it's depending on the mood. I think with Imperius I was experimenting more, way more because because you know it was we were no one. So I mean, we didn't have a story. Uh, like with DGM, when I joined the band, it was different. They had already uh, quite a few albums and they toured already. So, I mean, I did whatever I wanted anyway, but in that kind of music. So 
it was not like like no growls, no electronics, more like classic progressive. I mean, like more standard. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think there's a rule. You know, sometimes I like big intros, and some other times I like like straight away into the into the riff. And yeah. I'm not suggesting that you do it all the time. Sometimes they start out just you know strong or heavy or bombastic. But there's a there's a decent number of them where there's a, a kind of intro that starts um, with different effects, um, picking patterns. Um, sometimes this this um, uh, kind of this radio effect, like you're hearing something yeah, in the yeah, distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have all of these these approaches that you use uh, and and have done it across so many different records, and I love it. I, I, I mention it because I love it. I, I, it's uh, it it's breaks the mold of a lot of you know, way songs start because it's not just, you know, anyway, it was, it was, um, th- go ahead. I think that's also, uh, I was thinking now, maybe because I'm a, I'm also a producer and a mixing engineer. So I, I really find myself experimenting with plugins, with effects, and that probably most yeah. of the time leads to, oh, I'm trying this new effect with this band that I'm mixing. Why should why don't I write a line using that effects with my songs? You know, most of the times, or another time, I listen to some keyboards or some stuff that a band's that a band send me, and then I'm asking to the guy, oh, how you did that? Oh, I'm you. I use this. I do. I do this with Romeo all the time. Every time I'm mixing his his own stuff, how you did this? I, you know, like having the luck the, the, to 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 ask him, you know, to be yeah. able to ask him what he's using. And then I, I really try to incorporate what I learned in my music. And that's, this is going on since forever, since the beginning. Yeah. And so maybe that's why. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, I think it works. Um, I, I grew, I grew as I was listening, cause I started at the beginning of your career and, and listened to pretty much everything. And uh, oh. I grew to um, have this eagerness for oh, how is he going to open this next tune? It, you know, it's just a fun <laughs> okay, thing. Okay. It's a fun thing. It, you, you, you know, not all, not all songwriters sort of think creatively in the same way about that. Um, I, for just because I don't want to get stuck forever just on and the rest is silence. I'll just, for folks who are unfamiliar with Imperios, this particular record, there's, there's tracks um, like Prelude to the Sleepless Tragedy that's got this beautiful piano part. Um, there's a song called, um, I don't know if this is Italian, it's Yal. Yael? Yeah, it was a sort of like, uh, I sang that one, actually. It, it's me singing that song. Ah, there you that's, go. That's the, that's the only time in my life that I, that I, that I was brave enough to sing something. <laughs> and then, uh, because, you know, yeah, it's not Italian. It was like, a, a, how do you say in English? Like a war game. Okay. War, when you, like it was a name of, 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 of a guy, of a girl, I don't know. But yeah, that that album is really for me. It's it's not an album because it was basically the demo that we did, and then it was released. So yeah. I always consider my career starting from the from the glorious sickness. That's that's the, okay. the album we did later. Well, that's and I I respect that, but I um I think that for for fans of this this genre of music, I think that this this demo uh, is really good. Um, there's on this 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 Al tune. There's this sort of grand. I, I, I the the word is grand. It had this grand feeling, this ethos inside it, with strings and acoustic guitar. It was it was beautiful. Um, the tune Far Cry. 
um, got this really cool acoustic guitar thing with this, like, it sounded like a, a Moog um, uh, synth sound over it. It was just really, it, yeah, the pairing yeah, was yeah. really cool. Uh, I couldn't remember, I couldn't think of another song I'd heard pairing like that of instruments. Um, so anyway, that's, there's a lot to commend it there, but let's, let's fast forward to The Glorious Sickness. Um, another cover that, you know, there's, it's pretty powerful. There's a, a woman on the cover. She's, she's um, not nude, but she's, you can see a lot of her skin. Um, she, you can see power plants or nu- nuclear reactors in the background. Uh, it's very evocative. It was, wh- what was the, the idea inside this? Was the I sickness mean, about radiation sickness or am I, I think, drawing too I many think I remember. I remember, I remember my bass player that it, it did all the, the, the concept behind and all the lyrics. I remember he was always talking about the sickness of the world, like, like, like the world is, you know, it's a come, especially now, you know, you know, it's really, it's like, like everybody, all the world is sick, you know, it's like the war uh, and and the pandemic and 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 the industrial i mean i'm not a political guy you know sure. uh, but but i think that the theme was the was really that i mean like the world going to to end sooner than than it was planned to do you know yeah. so it's like it's a mixture of things like the, i remember in the cover we really wanted this dry feeling you know like the desert and 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 all the in industrial things in the background and so to, to give the to give this this sensation of of like of dryness that the world is was going to towards to. yeah. so i think that was the theme you know like this What's angry cool? feeling well it does that and the woman's got this like horrified uh, surprise yeah. or something on her expression where her mouth's kind of open in a scream there is though this. If you look, there's a cool little thing that in the the in the bottom part of that figure, it becomes roots, which are also sort of desiccated and dry. But there's one green leaf. Yeah, exactly. The hope for yeah. for the future. <laughs> yeah, man. Exactly. So so very cool. So very cool. Yeah. Um, do you, let me ask you this before I I say this next part. Are you are you a Seven Dust fan at all? You heard Seven Dust? Uh, honestly, I think I never heard a song from them. Like okay. never. Well, then there's something in the in the universe because there in this record, the glorious sickness. There, I heard some echoes of Seven Dust. I, I for me, that's a compliment because I'm a huge Seven Dust fan, uh, and some of your your guitar work, um, you know, I was really digging it. it. It's distinctively your own. But when you you know you hear these echoes of maybe it's because you you know as a listener you have artists you like, uh, but there were a few. Um, places where it's like, oh man, that's get, getting a cool seven dust feel, but always a little bit more technical. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a that's a compliment. And and if you haven't checked out Seven Dust, check them out. You might. I will. You I might will. Dig, dig them. <laughs> um, really good band. Uh, Animosity is probably my favorite record by them. If you know, okay. not that you'll remember. I'll, I'll send you a note. Yeah, uh, but on on the glorious sickness. So um, the. You say that this is where your career began. The Eve Arose, which is one of the tracks, when I listened to that, I, I felt like I could hear the future of DGM. I began to feel like I could hear some DGM that was going to be in the future. Like yeah, I, yeah. I have the perspective because I'm sitting in the future and I get to listen to it all. Exactly. But um, I think this is your, your songwriting beginning to mature, like already um, in 2008, I think. Is that when this record was? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because because back, I mean, back then I was really torn between like Nevermore. Nevermore was the thing for me back then. You know, mm. Nevermore and Strapping Young Lad and Devin Townsend, all all his work. Oh yeah, yeah. So pretty much all the heavy, the Devin Townsend in the heavy side. You know, more like in the strapping. But at the same time, I was still a major fan of Symphony X and Kansas, all the melodic prog. You know, yeah. so I was torn. You know, if you if I listen now to that record, I'm hearing some super heavy riffs, but all the op, as you say in English, like the soaring choruses, you know, like like epic. No, it's not epic, but it's like super melodic yeah. uh, modulations, and that I still do now every time with DGM, trying to improve every time, of course. But I think that album started, yeah, my thinking in a certain way when composing. So usually it's like searching for a, the heaviest riff in the world, but then not going to the, but, but going into a melodic <clears throat> thing and yeah. exploring into the super melodic and catchy and catchy chorus. That, yeah. that, that is my, still my, my, my go-to formula if it's, if it's a thing. Yeah, it is. It is a thing um, because I noticed that in this, in the imperious work where you do have some of the, you know, the growl vocal vocals, um, you always resolved in the choruses into something melodic. And a good example of what you were just describing, I think is destination null, which is a track from the record. It's got a great groove, but it's got this kind of epic feel in the chorus. Um, uh, it's, it's just one example, but it's a good example if folks want to hear what um, Simone is describing. Uh, but this, but this record always also has some really great um, other other tones and textures. The time lapse is a is a tune that's got again a soft piano uh, thing that's a really nice counterpoint to uh, some of the heavier, really heavy stuff that's on the record. Um, and then you guys did was was a new dawn the first like official video you guys did. Yeah, I think we did the first one was Eva Rose. Okay, but right after that. We, we did a, because with that record, we started to play live, you know, for real. Like we did, we did tons of show everywhere from little bars, clubs, or supporting, supporting bigger acts and here and there in Italy, especially, and a few festivals outside. And I remember after the first shows, we filmed all the lives to do all the live shows to do the new Dawn song. Yeah. It's, that's, that's one of my favorite songs from that album. It's not the, the most technical because it's really slow. Yeah. But I remember the heaviness and the feeling like, oh, I, I wrote the right chorus on this one. And this yeah. super simple riff, it was like, you know, like Devin kind of thing. And I was I was super proud of that one. Yeah, it's a great it's a great track. <clears throat> and, you know, this um, it, I think in the track order, it's last. But it's it shows yeah, like yeah. my notes like what I wrote as I was listening to it is that this was this was showed a maturity of the songwriting. It's really melodic. It's got great sections that really have uh, you know one of the other things I note I noted about your work is your rhythm work. So you you know you have uh, the flash. You can do the the speed stuff and and there are videos that you know folks can watch and that I watched that show you working on the fretboard. You know tapping and doing all the things that. Um, they're, they're delightful and they're musical, uh, but you're the, the, you're, you're equally as good 
I think with the rhythm work, when you write a riff that is going to be the foundation for a, uh, a chorus or a verse, and that's not always um, a sort of a um, another skill that a guitarist has, you know, um, to do. Both. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I totally agree because that's what I tell to every band that I record. I always tell them because I I hear, I see all this. I mean, I, I like, especially in the past, I like to be, you know, the, like, the, the fastest guy in, in Italy to play guitar. I, I really don't care now. Like, write really nothing. I really care about good music. And of course, I, I, learned, I learned to play guitar in that way. So from time to time, I put all this tapping thing, but all these flash licks or whatever. But I tell to these guitar players, because they come into the studio knowing all this, like Kiko Loriero, eight fingers tapping, but then it's time to do the like the basic rhythm and they suck, you know, <laughs> most of them. Yeah. And, and I really cannot. And I always tell them, OK, an album is like 60 minutes. You have 60 minutes of rhythm guitars and probably two minutes of solos. So which is the most important, like the rhythm guitar? And that's the, the lesson that I learned early on when I was when I was recording myself, you know, because I was spending one week crafting a solo and then 10 minutes playing rhythm guitar and all my guitar teacher was saying hey this is sloppy this is yeah. so i really learned the craft of and also not playing basic stuff when you have you know most of the metal guys i don't want to say that i am believe me i don't want to say that i'm the best or better i just care about that aspect yeah. You know, most of the metal guys, they just go to with power chords and that's it, double bass. I, to me, it's really boring. I like to, every time I write a song, even if I have like three simple chords, I spend like days thinking, oh, how should I play those chords? Maybe I can put a, you know, like a triplets here or, a, you know, like the, this, this lick here. Yeah. Something that makes it unique and, and, and makes, it, it makes it especially more in fun for me to play you know i don't yeah. want to be on stage playing like uh, waiting for the solo i want to be <laughs> i want to have fun for all the song you know so yeah. <laughs> and sometimes and when i listen back to the imperious records i now i think i was too much in that sense too much searching for the you know technical little lick in the rhythm nowadays i'm more like oh i want to find the right vocal line for the chorus because that's the most important thing but maybe because i'm 20 years older or 15 years old but yeah I, i'm glad that you you underlined the, the the rhythm aspect because really all people always tell me oh play some play show us some videos for the for the solos yeah okay i i know that people enjoy that stuff but most of the time i mean, I mean when i record records for me, it's like two weeks of rhythm guitars and two days of solos. Really, it's like yeah, yeah. I mean, the um, I I did notice as I was listening to the songs, I I found that I wanted to pay attention to the guitar work, not just when you were going to be carrying the melody in the solo. Um, and it's everything from um, you know, unique chord changes to how you play inside the, uh, a chord. Um, two, you got one of the meanest sort of wahs that I uh, you know, like. It's uh, I remember the first time I noticed that as a cool thing in rock. It was Zach Wilde. He was playing on an Aussie record. Yeah, yeah, it's the Zach. Uh, and you, you, man, you, you, you do that like like nobody's business. You're so good at it. Um, 
so yeah, the the so I appreciate the fact that you're kind of a re- well-rounded guitarist. It's not just uh, you Thank know you. how many notes can I play in thirty no, seconds. I <laughs> I really don't care. I never care probably. I mean, a little bit back then because it was, I think every guitar player that 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 you know likes to be not the fastest but the you know the most technical thing. And then right. you you turn around and you see a, like a like a, a twelve years old kid that plays every Steve Vai song better than Steve Vai. So it's like, it's really, I mean, there's no point in, in, yeah. in, in challenge with, yeah. with speed and stuff like that. It's yeah. That's a, that's a, um, a race you can't win. Uh, Cause it, yeah, exactly. You know, and, but the, the, the thing of it, and this is, if I've matured at all in music, it's what you just said. It's um, it's not how fast, like that is a, it is a, I call it a tool in your tool belt. When you need to express something for which speed is a thing and will help to, to you know, communicate what, you're, what you want musically, then, of course, it's great if you have the ability to do so. But, but that's a musical uh, um, approach. It's a musical um, uh, extension of that, uh, of that skill. It's not the skill for its own sake. And um, so I think guitarists, and this goes for everybody, but it's, you know, um, learning your craft so that you can express, like I, I talked to Jordan Rudess one time and he, his comment was, I've kind of gotten to the point where I can, I can make my hands do what I think I can, you know, I can uh, have that synergy. Then the, the challenge really becomes, how do you make a great song? Cause that's way more important. Um, so, you know, you've, but I, I will tell you, despite all of this conversation, these are great songs, man. This um, I'm hoping, <laughs> I mean, I know that this is in your past and we're going to get to your more current stuff here in a second, but um, this music deserves to be heard. So folks who uh, maybe, you know, are newer to the genre or just somehow missed, uh, missed Imperios, it's cool stuff. It's, it's, it's worth going back and, and um, folks checking out. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, okay. Let's talk about DGM. So you joined DGM, which has already been going, but you joined, in 2005 2006 yeah yeah uh, yeah around that 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 period yeah 2000 i don't remember the exact year but it was like yeah 2005 6 were they um forgive me i this probably was available somewhere but were they did the former guitarist just need to, to leave or i mean he basically is is one of my best friends now is i think it's one of the best guitar players in italy and in the world is really ingve-ish kind of kind of style but more modern you know in a way he was really tired of the of the they were doing really good back then like selling a lot in japan before me i guess i think um they was they were selling a lot in japan they were they played a few of the biggest shows in italy it's called gods of metal like with snake like 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 big big shows but he was tired of doing record after record. And he actually is, is tired of the music business, like in general. He's now playing like for his, I mean, without contracts, without labels, he's just playing music, you know, still now. And I kind of understand him now, but you know, <laughs> and, and he was tired and he was simply left the band and the band didn't know what to do because he was the main composer and the main guitar player. So they just did some. It's a funny story that you mentioned Jordan Rudess, 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 or I don't know. Rudess, I think. But yeah, go Rudess. ahead. Because 
you know, in Italy, I am in the hometown of the Dream Theater funk, Italian fan club. Okay. In, I'm in the same hometown, and I know the guys. I mean, I, I knew the guys back then. I don't know if it's still, if it's still up. And they did this 10 anniversary uh, show with Jordan Rudis as a guest. And, and we played as Imperials. We opened the show. And the guys asked us, oh, can you play some Dream Theater songs? No, no, no. We play our music, you know. <laughs> and it was Jordan seeing us. And at the show, the main band was this official cover band of Dream Theater, Italian official cover band. And the singer was the DGM singer. And the keyboard player was the DGM keyboard player. So we knew each other back then. And that started everything from that night, you know, because they we kept in contact. And when the former guitar player left, they just called me, oh, would you like to do a, how do you say, sorry for my bad English, but would you like to do a test, you know, with us? Like, uh, and I was like, okay. But I, I suddenly, I, I told them, hey, I cannot play with him, like him. I have a totally different style. Oh, we, we don't care. Just, just come down because they're from Rome. So I went down in, in Rome. I remember it was Easter day. And we played three songs that I learned. And I was really like methodical. Like I learned everything except for the solo. For me, it was impossible because it's a totally different style. And the guys asked me, oh, do you write songs? And I was like, of course I did. I had all my Imperials albums and I started to, to throw riffs at them. You know, like, oh, listen to this, listen to this. And then like the day after we started working on the first album. So oh, that's... Wow. That's the story how it, how it went. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's um, there is a, a I can hear the the stylistic difference, but um, you know, they they were fortunate in my view to find you because they replaced not just a guitar player but a composer. Um, yeah, you know, for for the band. And um, I and I think I think without without taking, I mean, without disrespect with the previous lineups i think with after i joined that was the first time that that after the first album that was like a setup different shape uh, after after that album we really established a uh, first of all it was the first time that the, the same lineup last for forever like we have this we are the same guys as 15 years ago yeah and and we started we really started to take things seriously like like uh, touring and doing festivals um, all over the world and trying to push in uh, like trying to search a better label because before me before that it was basically as we were with Imperials they were all friends you know like from school so it was the same setup but then things changed when I because I was really res uh, how do you say really convinced to that i really wanted to to spread my music all over the world so yeah and i saw the opportunity with dgm because they were already kind of known in the world so it was easier for me to bring my music to, to the people well and when you you know you guys um in the years following that you did you played the prog power usa in 2011 and 2014 the prog power europe in 20 uh Eight and 2011 um you guys were gods of metal and uh, uh second time in 2007 and there you were with heaven and hell dream theater symphony x dark tranquility like you 
you were right in the thick of it with progressive metal in those first handful of years after you came into the band. Um, and I think some of that, I mean, I, I don't know, but like when I listened to different shapes, which you just mentioned, which is the first record that you were, that you wrote and frame frame. Yeah. I, you know what I wrote? I wrote, Holy shit. When I listened to frame, that is <laughs> frame is probably the, yeah. Everybody that I meet now at, at DGM gigs, they always, they always see frame as their favorite. It's a and, great album, man. They're all good. They're, okay. they're all good. And, and, um, I, I'm coming at this from, I was familiar with your music, but I spent a lot of like dedicated, thoughtful time lis listening to your music over the past week or whatever. And, um, that album just, uh, when I, every next track, I was like, Whoa, man, it just, there was, uh, you guys, I don't know if there was just a chemistry that, that had developed or what, but there's a, there's something that sort of seemed to really gel with that particular record. Yeah, I mean, with the first one, Different Shapes, we had a different singer back then yeah. with that album. and But I really didn't know what to, I didn't know the guys first because I joined the band and we started writing, but I didn't know the taste of the guys. So I just started writing songs. Some of them were like, leftovers from Imperius albums that were too melodic for Imperius. And so I really didn't know what to expect. And we managed to, to put, put up that album. But I really think with Frame, with Frame, we really toured a lot before that. So we, you know, you know how it is. You know, you, you, you spend hours in the car or in the tour bus together and you start to listen to the same music and, oh, we should do a song like that. Oh, we should do a song like, like this. And we basically knew each other better. And I think the chemistry, I really, I still remember the chemistry in that, in that period was really magic. Like every time we, we sat down, okay, this is a riff. Oh, this is a vocal line, done, finished. Like, like in, in half an hour, we wrote, we wrote a song and it was boom, one, one after the other. And it was really, really nice memories from the, the, the period, really, really good. Can you make a, and you, you remind me as you were talking there, there was a vocal change and they're both good singers, but the, the prior guy, um, Tititani, am I saying that right? Yeah. 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 Um, his voice is more for me, more sort of classic hard rock. It's got a, a kind of a Robin McCauley, um, sound to it from Michael Schenker group, uh, which is good, but it, it's, uh, it's another situation for me where it was really good, but, um, the, your, your, the, the vocal replacement I think was a little bit better suited to the music. Um, that's an opinion. And so all the DGM fans don't like crash my, <laughs> my email with hate because they're both amazing records. And in fact, different shapes, there's, there's some sounds, peace of mind's got places that's got some really cool thrash uh, signs of time, such a pr great progressive song. I could even hear uh, little bits of dragon force and, and fates like, there is so much flavor in that record. Uh, uh, a man I'll never be uh, absolutely for me was there. I heard echoes of dream theater. None of this is by the way, yep. imitation. It's just, um, you know, because you guys are in this sonic sphere, it invokes these kinds of uh, illusions for me, but the, but they're good illusions. It, it's, you know, you guys are working inside a, a genre and doing it really at a really high level. But when, but when frame came about, I felt like, um, because of the vocal change, there were more, um, it afforded you more opportunities with the music. Um, 
and 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 we'll talk about some of the subsequent records but i think um uh is it mark basile am i saying that right yeah 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 perfect, perfect. um uh, his voice has actually gotten stronger with each successive record. I feel like as yeah. I'm listening, he's matured. It's gotten a little bit rounder. His um, he's got for me a real um, Michael Sweet sound in a lot of his in, in a lot of his uh, uh, work, particularly early. Um, kind yeah. of it kind of has as he's you know matured as a as a human. His physiology I think has um, rounded that tone, but. Um, Anyway, so th- let's talk. Let's so we've talked about different shapes. Let's we let's talk a little bit more about uh, frame. Um, this is definitely like not the place to start. I always recommend people start at the beginning of a band's history. But like, if you just want to see what DGM is about and you haven't heard them before, um, this would be a good one just because there's there's so much I think new ground for, that the band breaks with this particular record. Um, uh, there's a there's a track called Not in Need and there's a you have this riff this early riff in that um, at about the fifth I wrote noted at the fifteen second mark it's <laughs> almost got this like I don't know if it's a funk like you do this something it's a really really fresh riff it's, man it, it's you know what really, I'm talking I think about it's, yeah 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 I think I remember because that riff it's basically a sort of extreme rip off yeah you know you remember extreme I you do, know yeah like, like pornography and they had this funk vibe, you know, mixed with with this with this heavy rock guitars. Yeah. And I still remember when I wrote that riff because I I've never been a major fan of Extreme, but Nuno Bettinger is probably one of the best guitars in the play in the world. So from yeah. time to time, I was trying to learn some of his riffs, and that led basically to that to that thing. You know, that's I you know I didn't I was gonna say that like the Extreme is one of the few bands in rock slash metal that have done incorporated funk, I think successfully. Yeah. And I heard an, an echo there. You did a great job with that track. There's a, there's a, there's a track on, on frame um, called trapped where there's, I don't know if it's bongos. It's this really cool percussive um, stuff. It, choirs chanting horns. Like it's a really different, the, the orchestration is really very different. Um, and I loved it because it, it lent um, some diversity you know, to this really great progressive metal record. Yeah, it was my time back then. It was my 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 orchestral period when I was when I was really falling in love with all the. Basically, I think it was because of the Odyssey from Symphony X. Mm. You know, with all this big orchestration, and I started to 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 buy all these libraries, and I really wanted to become the next Hans Zimmer or something. So I really tried to incorporate that those orchestral elements. But you know, you really need a lot of time a lot, and a lot of study to put in that kind of thing. And I really stopped doing that after a few years. I mean, I mean, I really like now to listen to it, but I don't have the patience to you know to sit down and spend like one month to write 30 seconds of orchestra. So I <laughs> usually, when I need some orchestral stuff, I just call all my great friends that are doing great work. Yeah. But back then I was really, because it was the first, the beginning of the, all these libraries with computers, you know, like the beginning of the, so every new day I had a friend, oh, I have this new bongo library that is really great. So I have to write something with that, you know, and it was really creative actually. Yeah, you can hear it. You can hear shades of that in this record. Um, 
there's a the track away has got a little bit of an Egyptian thing. Exactly. Uh, right, which is exactly. really cool. Um, there's the, 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 the track heartache. I don't know if this is intentional, yeah. but the beginning almost sounds like a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of yeah, course, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, such a such a great. Um, and this was the, this was actually the the track where or the the album where uh, "Rose in the in the Wind." Um, the I, it just it locked in my head how much energy you spend in the rhythm sections of the guitars, like making those distinctive. Um, so those the, those are some of the 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 tracks. Like anybody open up any of those and uh i think you're going to find so much that uh you'll enjoy if you've not heard that record um let's talk about momentum this is the one we talked about earlier that has the domino cover um uh, you guys really locked in a sound at this point i you know we talked about the chemistry on frame um that uh so this record you it's you know you're already firing on all these pistons um, but then you you know, here you brought in some guests. What was the what was the thinking behind wanting to have some guests on the record? I mean, basically, we never thought about guests before that. But that album, I remember enjoying creating that album because it was right after the tour with Symphony X. Like right after we started writing, and we were all like, I mean, again, they still are one of my favorite band ever. So for me, like being on tour, being on the road with them for like almost two months, it was like a dream come true. So, you know, you can imagine how, uh, how happy I was. And I was, that was really reflecting on my, on my songwriting. Yeah. And basically the guests that I had in, in the record were the guys that we were on tour with because Russell uh, was of course singing with Symphony X and, and Jorn Vigo from Pegas Mind, one of my great friends nowadays. We are great friends and one of the best guitar players in the world, I, I think. They were opening with us. We were sharing the same bus, the same tour. So we were all the, we, you know, you make friends on, on the bus and sure. then you have, you, you ask them to play on the record because one thing that we never did, and I think we will never do, is to have people on the records guests that we don't know personally because to me i really don't care to have like i don't know the biggest star in the world that sings my songs because i know that he will sing my song for money I, i'm sure that he will sure and it, it, it's right it's his job but i don't care i really want people that i know and i i know that they respect us as musicians so they agree to do what they do not for the money, but because they like us as persons first, and they like our music. That's why, you know, we had we had Russell and Yorn because we were friends and we and we had fun, and they hopefully they enjoyed our our music when we were on tour. Yeah. And the same happened for the the, the the album after that when we had Romeo again and Tom from Evergrey, another one of my best friends. So yeah. Well, and just so people know what you're talking about, the, the track Reason on Momentum has Russell and the track Chaos ha has Yorn. Uh, so those are, you know, great ones to, to look at. Um, uh, you, you had on, the, you also had some additional orchestration. Uh, Marco Montavani did some yeah. orchestration. Was that, what, what was, was he doing like strings and stuff or what was he doing? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a friend of mine from my hometown. He's, he's an arranger. He's not a metal guy. He's okay. like, he arranges stuff for orchestras and 
and you know we're all in the same circle of friends you know we're all musicians and every time i find myself or my keyboard player we struggle with sounds you know with with oh we really would love to because you know my keyboard player is really like a, like a old prog style keyboard player so he really likes to have his keyboards not not working with the computer with the samples yeah. so every time we really need something more realistic like more um, real strings or uh, i asked to my friends as i told before now i asked to romeo uh, but but always to marco my other marco mantovani that guy because he's he's the genius of of you know all the oh i have this library that was made in india that sounds like you 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 need the sounds That's that cool. you need you know so he knows everything sometimes i i called him and i was like i am like which instrument is the instrument that you can hear in the in the in that movie you know <laughs> like and i mimic the sound oh and he's like oh he's a it's a, like a koto from Japan. I have a library. You know, he oh has a library gosh. of every instrument. <laughs> what a great friend to have, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah Great yeah. resource. It's the best. So cool. It's the best. Well, a um, couple of notes for folks. Like I, I was listening um, on this record. There's tracks, numb, and pages. One of the things um, I have this, it's a, I'm a vocalist myself, and one of my the things I love to hear a, a vocalist do is turn a phrase where they resolve into a, uh, a chordal change or a part change with a half step because it creates this, the, the tension and resolve I find to be powerful and beautiful. And you're, I don't know if you wrote these or if it was in combination with your, your vocalist, but on those two particular tracks, some of the vocal lines use this technique. And I just wanted to mention it to people so that if, you know, because um, I think I've talked about this before on the show, these are good examples and they do it really well with the vocal lines in these particular two particular songs. Um, t the tune Overload, great prog tune. Um, Void has your, I was telling you, you had that really mean, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's a, that's a good example what you do when you do that. Um, I know it's, it's silly to talk about but that, but I have to nerd out a little bit on some of the cool metal stuff that you do. Um, let's talk quickly about the passage. So you mentioned before you also had, um, um, guests here. You had a Tom uh, from Evergrey, who we've had on the show, and uh, Michael, who we've also had on the show. Um, and this was this was because how did you become friends with Tom? Had you toured with Evergrey, or just through other? No, I mean, yeah, in a way. I mean, Romeo, of course, it was because of the tour that we did with Symphony X, and Tom. I don't remember the first time I met him. Actually, I no, I remember the first time, and it's still a good, a funny story because. Uh, I mean, that's not the time where we became friends, but this, this is worth to mention. I was at the Gods of Metal, you know, this big festival in Italy. And we were, I was in the crowd watching Ingve. It was like 2004. And then I saw these big guys with blonde hair, you know, like two meters tall. And I, I, I realized they were Evergrey. They were watching the Ingve show. And I was a, a major fan back then. In Search of Truth is probably one of my, favorite albums from yeah. Evergrey. And I asked them, hey guys, can we make a photo together? And they said, no. And they turned. <laughs> so it was, I was so pissed that I really stopped listening to Evergrey. Oh, these fucking, you know, assholes, <laughs> rock stars. And then, 
And then I found myself playing in this, I think it's called episode, this kind of, you know, like metal opera kind of thing with all guests from around the world. Yeah. And we actually did a show with this project. And, and that's, I think that's, that was the time when I met, it was back in 2000, I don't remember, like eight or nine. I was in the rehearsal space with Tom. And the first thing that, I, and he was all like, all super cool guy, you know, like, oh, I heard your guitars on the record. They are amazing. I know DGM. I, I know the songs. And I was like, I was, I was the guy that asked you about the photo and you say, no. And he was like, no, it's impossible. It's impossible. And no, I, I, I tell you. And every time that we meet now, it's always that story that comes up. Oh, do you want to make a photo? No, together. So we, we really became, became friends. And then, and then we met uh, some other festivals. And basically, we, we, we became really good friends when, we, when he joined Redemption, this US prog band as a main singer and I joined, I mean, I'm not joined, but I, yeah, I joined the band for the live shows and, and for lead guitars. And we spent quite a few weeks together rehearsing, sleeping in the same hotel. So, yeah. you know, when you spend time with, a, with, with, a, with someone, hopefully you get along and, and yeah. we became friends. So. Well, his appearance um, on Ghost of Insanity, which is on uh, this passage, the passage record is really good. Um, you know, he, he's a great singer. I love, uh, I've had him on the show because I love his music so much. Um, the track Fallen's cool. There's an actual video for this. All you guys in the band are, you've got some, you're in some cool white room playing and your singer's off in a riverbed. He's in the yeah. river, yeah. standing in a river. It's yeah, really, yeah, it's yeah, epic. Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> he does a, He does a great job. Um, uh, there's a track called Disguise. There's a nice change of voice. It's a piano and voice thing. Uh, again, another flavor just to give some diversity to the record. Uh, I like that you guys do this. There's there's um, there's plenty of heavy music, but there's always um, some breath uh, inside the, the track composition, which I think is really cool. Uh, Daydreamer is another track. There's a little bit of funk in that one too, Simone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, you know what about the, the funk and bluesy thing? You know, I grew up listening to the, I told you, like Eric Clapton, all these blues players or, and somehow I'm always scared of putting that thing in Prague because it doesn't sound, you know, like, like serious somehow, you know, yeah. but from time to time, I'm like, whatever, like, I like, I like that. So why not putting that, that influence in in a song or two. You know? I 100% agree with that. I told Jordan this about, he, from time to time in the Dream Theater stuff, he'll do a little ragtime. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Um, some fans hate it. You know, so it's not serious. It's not, you know, it's not the, and I think, no, man, is it, it like that diversity gives the song color and it's a, it's a break from incessant, um, you know, heaviness. Not that they're guilty of that because because Dream Theater is a favorite band of, course, of mine and of there's tons of, of change and dynamics in their work, but it's a different flavor. So I, I am agreeing with you. I think, um, you know, introducing these other styles, uh, I think keeps it fresh. Um, and I like, I liked hearing it in your work when I was listening to, um, listening to the DGM stuff. Um, for folks that are 
sort of paying attention. Dogma is the is the track that uh, Michael Romeo guests on on that record. Um, let's go to Tragic Separation. This is um, the most recent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Is uh, is that is that am I is that this year? No, it was two yeah, years I think ago. It came out. No, it 20... came out. Wow, 2020, right yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. I remember because yeah. we we actually recorded, finished. I finished the mix in March 2020, and it was the st exact start of the. I remember because I couldn't go to the studio, so I brought home. I managed to brought home because we were in lockdown. I managed to brought home all the speakers and computers, and I mixed the record in my bedroom. That's what I remember. Mm. And then we, the album was supposed to be out like, you know, in the early summer. And we tried to wait. Oh, let's wait a few months. Maybe it will be finished yeah. so we can tour. Oh, maybe let's wait another month. But then, I mean, it was pointless for us to have this album ready. And so we put it out on October 2020. And I mean, I think it's one of my, of course, it's always the last album that you love the most. But it's actually true. I mean, it's, I'm really proud of the album. And and it didn't get the attention because we didn't play live, like right. nothing. Like we did one show in support of that album. The only time, the only window were all like last summer when we, we could, we were be able to go live and play. And, and I think, you know, after I told you, it's for me, it's not like that I write a song and it's done. For me, it takes, it takes really months and months of overthinking on parts and maybe I change something. So for me, an album is like a, is like a result of at least two years of work and seeing that the album is like going out and it's, it's gone in two weeks, in one month because people, yeah. you know, they don't see us playing or whatever. It's really, it's really a pity, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is. It is a shame, partly because uh, there's there are tracks on this, um, particularly "Surrender," which is one you did a video for. That are that are they they bear the hallmarks of DGM, but they also have an accessibility that I think could have yeah. expanded the reach of the band and the music. Um, and one of the, I mean, one of the unfortunate circumstances with a lot of labels, and I know this because at my time at, at Microsoft. We, you know, we, we would ship games. I worked at Xbox. We'd ship games, and there was this sort of ship and forget, and and it wasn't intentional or, or you know, wasn't bad blood or anything. It was just there was another thing to do, and so I think record yeah. labels are yeah. guilty of the same thing. They've they pile themselves up with releases, and so they get something out the door. And um, there was a time in the record industry where there was the record would go out, and then the work began because there was the cultivation of trying to, to bring people to it. In today's world, a lot of the record labels seem to rely upon the artist to bring the fans to the music. Like you have an install base already because you have fans or you have social media or whatever. And so there's not as much support for the record once it's out. And that's, um, I mean, I can't fix that. I don't know if it can be fixed, but it, 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 it's precisely this scenario you, f you found yourselves in with Tragic Separation, exacerbated by COVID, but that's a great record that I think kind of slipped under the radar for, with a lot of listeners. Yeah. And I think, I think what you said is, is, is perfect because it, it, it pictures the, the, the state of the, of the music business nowadays. I mean, I don't want to complain about, I mean, label, they, 
they really need to earn money. So they, they do they, they job the best they do. But for example, when you said when you said in the beginning, oh, DGM are totally underrated, whatever, I totally get the point. But mainly one of the reasons is, I mean, you can blame labels or promoters, whatever, but one of the main reasons is because we are, as a band, we are really not that much into the social self-promoting thing. You know, we found ourselves like not posting stuff for months, but mainly because not because we're lazy, because you know, I think musicians nowadays they they really need to invest their time and efforts in learning how to do that you know yeah. you know like i i always find myself spending time in different things like in finding new chords whatever or finding new producing techniques or learning about new microphones and th those are the things that i have interest in in and i really don't see myself thinking oh it's tuesday i should post at two o'clock because that's the right time because that's the thing that most of oh, the band I, I, I see bands i see bands in the studio recording and they every day basically and i see them i don't want to brag drag like i don't want to sound like the old guy you know they're all on the phone but it, it's like oh let's let's film the setup of the amp so we can share it okay yeah but please first learn to play that riff properly because that's what we're doing here you're paying me you know and most of the time they spend and i i mean i'm not complaining because that's what they have to do nowadays to, to promote themselves so maybe it's me that i'm wrong you know that i don't like spending time in, in, in those things it is um it is a change in the, in the era of social media that, that there's an expectation from the consumer, whether it's someone listening to music or reading a book or watching a movie, that the artist, the creator, be accessible to them. And, and largely, it doesn't mean they're going to call them on the phone, but it means that, like some of the, this, this does sound like a get off my lawn old man statement, but there used to be some mystique about uh, you didn't know everything about the artist. You didn't know what they had for dinner. You didn't know that they were on the booze cruise or you didn't know, you know, this or that. And I don't know that that would help artists or, or not. Um, although, let me give you one example with, with using Dream Theater since we're both Dream Theater fans. Um, John Mayung is kind of an enigma. It's not that he doesn't, hasn't been on here and there with some interviews. Uh, and this is, you know, this may just be his, his, personal proclivity which is fine but it also does create this like this um, sense of mystique about who he is what he thinks how he approaches the instrument um that um i i lament that we don't have that like i sometimes i i'm like i don't need to know everything about this guy or that girl and they what they do as as a performer as a musician uh, I want to support them. I want to go to the show. I want to buy their record. I want to watch their videos. And I would even follow their Instagram. But there's just, there's sometimes it, it, they become so accessible that um, they, uh, it, I think it, it removes some of the, not just mystique, but some of the. Yeah, um, you lose the magic. You, you lose know, the magic. Magic, you, yeah. Like, yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't know if you say that in, in US, but here in Italy, everybody always says, Try not to meet your heroes because, yeah. you know, because 
not all the time, but most of the time you lose the, you know, the imaginary that you, you know, the imagination that you have, you had created in your head exactly. about them. And yeah. it's exactly what you said. I mean, you, you talk about John Mayang, but for me, it was a lot of artists that I, in my head, they were this, this creature, magical creature. And then you meet them and then you spend the, the days with them on the bus and, oh, that guy stinks. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm no, just. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. It could or, be. Or, oh, Oh, that guy is super boring. I don't want to be with him like for more than two minutes because he always talk about whatever. But before I was holding the record and I was looking at the picture and I was wondering, oh, he's one of my heroes. You know, he must be a, a, like a, a phenomenal creature of the of the past. You know, like, well, I you lose the magic. I think that's right. I I may I know that I'm. Uh, this is an opinion everybody shares, but one of the things I hate is when artists of any genre get, um, they go to these award ceremonies, whether it's the Grammy, Grammys or the Country Music Awards or whatever it is, and they win and they go up and they use their time not to thank everybody who helped them, but it's sort of a, a political pulpit. Like, I mean, you know, here's my mm. cause, here's what I think about this politician or whatever. And a part of part of me, like... Um, uh, laments that artists do this so much because one I think it, it's a little bit naive because you, most of the world's pretty divided uh, and so you 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 run the risk of alienating some people for whom ideological divides um, influence their purchase behavior so like as a business person that's Absolutely. a bad choice but then there's also exactly what you're talking about this you you meet somebody it's happened to me a, a vocalist that I adore met him in person and um it was so it was so acerbic everything he said that it really put me off and so now when i i listened to him sing i don't hear just the beauty of what he's doing <clears throat> i see this kind of jerk guy uh and so i think it's i think it's something that artists need to think about um if if you are all about your ideology or you're all about one thing or another, whether it's politics or religion or the lack of those things, whatever it, you know, stating that for the world, um, if that's what you're about, that's fine. But when, in some ways that puts something between them and the music. And it seems to me, artists should be super concerned about how people feel about the music first. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I was thinking now why, why you were talking that, that in, I don't know how many years Facebook is up. I, I don't know, like 10, 15. I, I thought I was thinking I never wrote anything about my ideas on everything. Like, yeah, of course I post all the time. I did this interview. I did. I will do the show. This is my new album and all these like great promotion tools. You know that I should use more. But yeah, I use from time to time. But I really don't get the point when artists like they put themselves on a on a. Uh, I mean on a on a level where they feel they can, they are the right person to teach you what are the good things or bad things to do. I mean, everybody should think with their own head. That's basically how the world That's should right. be, you know, right? Like, and, and as you said, sometimes you lose the magic, not, always, not only by meeting your heroes, but also if they have a totally different vision 
than you, than yours. In, I don't know, in politics or, you know, yeah. and then you don't listen to the music in the same way as before because, oh, that guy is democratic. That guy is Republican. I don't know, whatever, you know, like, yeah. And, well, and, and to and, me, and, it's not music. To me, it's not music. Music, it's, it's just the, the beauty of sitting down, putting your headphones and being transported by the notes. That's what, that's what it is for me. You're, I agree with you. And I, I think at the risk of sounding maudlin, you know, the, one of the great values and virtues of music is that it, it's a thing that can, people can agree on. It's a language uh, unto itself that people can experience and love together and put aside all kinds of differences. It, um, you know, unless, I guess, it, unless the music has a bunch of lyrics that are particularly screaming one particular idea that you hate, but largely that's not the case. So when when artists um, choose to to you know use use their their popularity or their platform to um, begin spreading ideology, it just seems to me that it's um, it's uh, uh, they're they're creating an association that is is maybe not the one that they they want um, because it's it's difficult to separate those things. Um, and now in the world, there's also now this whole thing with cancel culture. Someone will. Oh well, you know Simone. He doesn't like the the color green. Never buying his records anymore because I love green. You know, I'm being I'm being facetious, but um, okay. So we've done our bully pulpit there for a minute. Let's um, let's go <laughs> yeah, back right, to right. let's go back to your to your music here. So this this last DGM record, which came out in 2020, um, such a good record for folks who maybe missed it because they were in lockdown. Um, uh, I mean, when you guys get back, uh, will you guys go back out on the road to support this at some point, or will you just wait now and do a tour when you have a no, new No, we're, we're, yeah, we we thought about that, but since we already pretty much wrote most of the next record, or two records, actually, and I, we think that it's time, I mean, I hate, personally, I hate to have songs ready to be recorded, and not be able to do because to me the songs are getting older day by day you know so uh -huh. it's and sometimes i have songs that i wrote like three years before the the release of the album because you have all the recordings all the writing with the guys all the promotion you know period some months away from the delivery of the master so we just thought since in italy i mean i see a lot of bands are going back on tour but it's still, I see also a lot of bands that are, oh, canceling last minute or maybe canceling, mm -hmm. you know, a few shows. Since we're not, we're not a big band, we cannot afford to risk to, to be canceled last minute. So we, we just thought, hey, we have all these bands of songs that we like. Let's work on the songs and re let's release the, the, the next record. And maybe, hopefully, we can do a tour to support both of the records you know we can just play songs from tragic and from the new one yeah well in this in the united states um touring is feels like it's back up and running a lot of bands doing tours um states are pretty much all open so that's good but one of the other complications for europe of course is there's the war and so yeah even <laughs> outside ukraine you've got border states and you don't know what's going to happen so um there's some added risk there. Uh, do you have any timeline on when the next record might be available? Is it going to be this year, next year? No, I mean, I think we're going to finish recordings and writing, you know, because writing with us, 
if it's only the music, it's it's only me and it's fast. I mean, not fast, but it's it's going really fast. But then we have to meet together to do all the vocal lines. And my singer lives like eight hours from here. So it's basically another state. It lives deep in the south of Italy. And uh, so, you know, it's always tricky to meet. It's not like in three weeks we've done. Usually it takes a few months. So I think we're going to finish the recordings this year and it will be probably out early next year or somehow somewhere early next year okay cool we'll watch for that um let's transition now and and talk about a few of your um other musical endeavors and there's a lot of them so redemption you mentioned this earlier um you are the uh in this lineup you're would would it be accurate to say you're a touring member yeah even if we basically did two records, two shows, and I'm more of like a like a session guy, session guitarist in the because I played on three records, okay, and I played all the solos and sharing the guitar leads with Nick, with the leader of the band. And yeah, we did Redemptions is not is not a live band basically. They did we did the Prog Power at Lining in 2018. And it was a great experience with also Ray joining for one song. Yeah. And uh, with Chris Poland, uh, I shared the, st- the stage with Chris Poland from Megadeth. And it was nice. awesome because it's, 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 it's crazy. And, uh, but yeah, the band is mostly a studio band. And, and yeah, I, I mean, we never talk about joining the band fully, also mainly because they're all, they're all in America, except Tom now. He lives he lives in Sweden of course but so we just we just every album that they're making we we talk each other and we see and Nick asked me to play solos and I'm more than happy because I I love to play guitar and and I like the guys and after that experience with with uh, the prog power when we shooted also the the blu-ray alive in color I think I think it's called and um yeah, that's right. It was, you know, again, when, when you meet the guys, it's not, it's not that just doing session guitars for money. You know, I met the guys for real and we became friends. We spent some times together, good times together. So they're really good, good guys. And, you know, but it's not, I don't feel like joining a band where I'm not the, the main composer. You know, I'm not the, I'm not the, I don't see the point of me uh, joining a band and only playing stuff that I didn't wrote because it's not, it's like you said before, it's, it's like the singer that has to sing songs that he didn't wrote. I don't feel it like, yeah. I will criticize everything. Oh no, that riff should be that way. Oh, you shouldn't do that all time there. You know, it's, so it's better you, like this. <laughs> so when you do solos for redemption, you get to write the solo. Yeah, 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 totally. Okay. Yeah, it just Nick just Nick just tells me, okay, we have a solo from minute one point two to usually it's like four minute solos, <laughs> you know, like while in my songs it's it's always short, so I can put all my chops in thirty seconds. <laughs> while in Redemption, I really need to work my ass. I remember the last time that it was the the, the toughest one because the songs were really long and super tricky, like super. You know, I, I, everybody called DGM progressive and it's fine, but we're not super, you know, like odd meters, you know, we, we're pretty much a straight, straightforward, uh, 
heavy metal band with some progressive touches yeah. while redemption is way more progressive you know like you have super intricate i remember when we played live i really had to study i think for an entire summer because to memorize all these changes you know it's easy in the studio you go piece by piece but when you have to go live and play two hour show plus the pressure on the dvd filming and that's why I, uh, yeah, I really had fun in the studio recording the solos because it's a challenge, and if it's really, and if it, and it's really different from what I usually do, so it makes you find new perspective on playing different stuff. You know, it's yeah. it's really, I really enjoy that. Your work on it's really great, and I, I I I love the callback to DGM because I actually had that thought. Is there's definitely progressive elements. Um, but there's also places that that are more traditionally metal and places that feel very power metal y um, with a lot yeah, of yeah, double yeah. bass and a lot of sort of um, uh, vocal lines that um, have have a, a center of hope and brightness because they resolve into major chords and not minor. Major, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's actually you're you're actually you're actually right on point because. I love all those Lydian, I don't know how much technical, like, you know, the major atmospheres that usually are not, you know, if you play heavy metal, you have to be sad or whatever. And I really like to, to play that, that style of chords. And I think it, it's great. Yeah, I, I, the, I think is the, the more I've been a fan of the genre, the more I've appreciated bands that um, deliberately write songs that use modes and chordal changes that uh, can kind of take the music into a, a, a hope, more hopeful place. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe that's just a function of age. Maybe when you're younger, you're more nihilistic. I don't know. <laughs> or more depressed. <laughs> um, okay. So that's, uh, and then there's a, I see a TBA on redemption for 2022. Is there a record coming out this year? I think, I think they had the same because the record I recorded the record the solos in last summer, so it's and I and I'm sure it's been mixed this during this winter, so I don't know if it's if they're waiting for the pandemic again with the label because they changed the label now they were on Metal Blade now they're on AFM, so I think it it's it should be soon like in a few months. Okay, we'll watch for that one. I know a friend of mine <clears throat> is playing bass for Ray Alder, who's doing an appearance at Power Prog USA. Oh, okay. Uh, and Ray's going to do some redemption. Um, I think oh, okay. he's in his okay. set. His stuff will probably be Fates and Solo and what else. But I know that um, it's, a, you know, you you've, the good fortune of redemption is, in addition to all of the other musicians, you know, it's been fronted by really good vocalists, Ray and now Tom. Um, okay, let's go forward to Sunstorm. So, uh, no, uh, Leilu. Am I saying that right? Leilu? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's French, so I, I don't even know. Yeah. Lalu? I don't know if it, I don't know which is the rest. Um, the uh, right way. Again, uh, you know, some great musicians, guys like Virgil Donati. Um, this stuff is, was to me, much more fundamentally um, progressive. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. That's... I mean, again, with this project, I, I, I didn't be, I, I wasn't involved in the writing, so it's it's really like Vivian 
Vivian world, Vivian's world, you mm-hmm. know, is is really really much into the into the seventies prog, like yeah, yes, that. yes, I, yeah. I haven't and, wrote and, that down. Yeah, yeah, a yes, and, and and yeah, yes, and having Virgil playing drums, of course, and again, this this comes this go this goes way back when when we were friends with with Vivian. He was searching for a guitar, and he fell in love with Imperius, and he, he loved he loved the heavy aspect and the rhythm thing, and we became friends. And I recorded an album, and the latest one I played some solos, and we did a tour in a few years ago. And to me, it's all it's all great to to be. You know, back when I started, I never thought that I was the one that was called together with Virgil Donati. To me, they're all, all monsters, you know, like yeah. or they are. They are incredible musicians. They really dedicate their life about music and studying music. And, you know, I see, I still see myself that I'm not worthy. You know, like, I am like, why did you call me? I'm like, I mean, I'm not as good as all the other players, but hopefully they see something. Maybe it's not the most, I'm not the most technical guitar player in the world, but maybe, you know, that's what I hope. Every time I, I record, I record especially for other people. Maybe they're searching something that I have that I don't know what it is because yeah. I just play whatever it comes out from my hands and my head. Well, there's but, a... you know, when you said, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I mean, when you said before, I hear this, your touch somehow. And to me, it's not, I mean, I know that I have, my ears always bring me to a certain way of hearing music. So, I mean, yeah, I just hope that people, I just hope to leave my, my mark in this music, even if I'm, I will not, I will not sell like millions of records. You know what I mean? Well, never no, say never, never say yeah, never. Yeah, hopefully, but, but <laughs> no one in the progressive scene <laughs> has done that so far, but. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It, the, um, but I think just drafting off what you said, there's um, you're, there, there's no lack of chops in your playing um, in terms of technical facility. Yes, there's always guys who can do more, whatever. I think the reason you get these calls is because uh, what you when you write, it's not only about that. And there's a musicality in it, and I think that's why you get these calls. And and. There's a few more I want to talk about, but um, Leilu is one of them because it is a, it is it's got a '70s sort of progressive rock thing. They, they they drafted Jordan to play on a track called "Slaughtered" and uh, "Slaughtered," and Jordan loves that stuff. Um, um, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and a lot of those yeah. groups are what basically helped him decide not to finish work at Juilliard, <laughs> and to, <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. he he wanted to make this music so badly. Um, and this re- this record has dreamy stuff. Um, Mirror Prison is a is a tune. There's a, a, t- a song called Tatanka, which I think is a Native American term for buffalo. Um, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think I remember that from um, Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner. Oh, okay, um, okay. But it's it's interesting because the vocalist here, it's got some really low low vocals deep in a register and some whispers so that it's like really the vocals are um are in are used it kind of in some ways as an instrument in places and not that it always is an, an instrument but as an instrument yeah, as much as it is like i'm the singer if, if that makes sense 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. Yeah. So he's he's he did he did a good job with these records, and I think Dan, and the most recent one, Paint the Sky, which just came out, is getting some really good reviews. John Anderson, uh, uh, Damian Wilson, has for me a very yeah. John Anderson sound. Like he got that very pure exactly. high exactly. Uh, thing that he can do. Um, but they've got some other guys on here. Paint the Sky, the actual title tracks got Steve Walsh and Tony Franklin and Jens Johansson. Um, it's just you know, and um, Rudess plays on this. Uh, the, the chosen ones. I mean, you you're listed there as a as a feature. So um, I commend people to this, particularly if you like that sort of more traditional. I don't want to say traditional like it's old and not relevant because no, it's, no, no, it's it's got its own you know thing. But it it harkens that if like it it stands on the those shoulders it, it, you know um, of giants this music it's really good. Um, let's talk briefly about Sunstorm. Um, what what is what is kind of your place here? Is it the same kind of thing where you're doing guest uh, or are you doing some composition? Yeah, I did in that project. I did in those. I think I did three records with them, and I actually did a few uh, a few of the writing. Not 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 the vocal lines or lyrics. I was just writing music because, okay. you know, when they called me, it was ba- I I accepted because basically it was not a big a big uh, a big chunk of time because they were in a live band. It was like studio project, so okay. you know. And basically, because of Jolie Turner, it was one of my one of my favorite albums ever. Is 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 Odyssey from Ingve. And with 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 Jolie Turner singing, but he sang he sang in a lot of records like Rainbow Records, Difficult to Cure is one of my favorites. So when I was again, when they asked me, oh, would you like to join the band? I was like, come on, it's Jolie Turner. I will play bass or ocarina or oboe, whatever <laughs> with Jolie Turner. So, and then I had the chance of of writing a few songs, and that I really liked that because it gave me again the opportunity of writing more in the bluesy hard rock yeah. style that I wasn't experimenting with DGM while nowadays I will love to make a, a mixture of everything you know, not caring as we said before not caring about the 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 genre you know the progressive stuff has to be like that I mean so for the for the soundstorm stuff I was I really enjoyed the first especially the first record and and because it really gave me the opportunity of exploring the, this music style that I always loved, but I never played. Actually, yeah. so it definitely has that that feel. Um, I I listened to a bunch of that music on that uh, Edge of Tomorrow release, yeah. and you know Turner singing really well there, and it has that more classic rock, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, blues based thing. Some, the the next record the the afterlife record for me was a little bit more assertive than the previous one but okay. still had that um and and there was a you know a little bit different sound because Ronnie Rom- Romero's fronting the band uh at this yeah. point I think I don't know why Jolyn Turner uh, maybe he could do it I, I don't know but um these records they're like they they have that feeling a lot of us that that started out when we started out listening to music, a lot of this music, rock and metal, this was um, the sound. This was a big part of that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I can see how it would be a, a cool thing for you to get to participate in and do a, a different flavor. 
Um, just a couple more before I let you go. So uh, I know that you did the first Sweet Oblivion record, which was yep. uh, uh, you you wrote and produced the whole record. And then, of course, Jeff Tate was the vocalist. Yeah. Yep. Um, the um, what was the what was the the process like with that? Did you write the because uh, you guys I, I'm assuming you did this from different countries. Did you write yeah. like vocal lines um, uh, and send them to him or did you send him like basically minus tracks and he wrote to those? No, no. In that case, it was one of the only, probably the only case in my life where I wrote, I actually didn't wrote all everything by myself because I asked a few friends, help from a few friends for the lyrics, because again, I, I'm not able to write good lyrics. And uh, actually, I had a few friends helping me with the music, too, because, you know, I'm a super Queenstrike fan, but only for Operation Mindcrime and Empire. I'm not, I'm, I mean, it's not that I don't like the rest, but I never spend the time to analyze all the discography. Mm. So I didn't want to find myself to write Operation Mindcrime clones, you know, right. so I asked to a few friends, oh, Oh, I like Rage of Order. I like that thing. So we mixed uh, a bunch of songs together, and of course, I did all the arrangements and and. Uh, but basically, yeah, I sent everything to Je to Jeff Tate and lyrics and melodies, and he basically sang what I wrote, except for a few songs where he changed some parts and we had some discussion about. Oh, I want the chorus to be like this. I want to be like that, but. Again, it's a strange, that's why I stopped probably making, among the other things, making those kind of records because it's really tough for me to do records without being in the same room with the singer, you know, mm. like, oh, try that, try that. Because every time you want to change something, it's like, you have to send an email at the minute 1.728, that word should be maybe in that, I mean, it's a nightmare for yeah. me at least. Yeah especially with someone that that I really never met and and so it's uh, it's been yeah it's been I think it's a good record but I don't like making those kind of records now because I really prefer nowadays I will take a plane and I will fly to whatever whatever he lives to to maybe spend two three weeks together crafting the, the songs and I think the result will be different you know, more cohesive. I'm yeah. not saying that I don't like their album because it came out, I mean, I did everything, so I came out like I wanted. But you know, it's always, it's always that feeling that, oh, I could, I could have done something different there and maybe the vocals should have been different there. You know, you always have all these regrets about little parts here and there. That, yeah. that, well, I, um, I listened to the record and you and, and those who, who, had a hand in helping you did a good job of having musical elements that echoed some of Jeff's past music, which I think yeah, a lot of yeah. his fans, whether they ex can express it or identify it, I think they enjoy it. I think they, they feel it. So I think you successful there. I know exactly what you mean. I, I wrote a sort of holiday rock opera of, of sorts with my group symphony North and I had all almost all session singers, and this this thing where they were in another state recording, 
And the only I would have to listen to what they send me and then sort of pick it apart and send long detailed notes with time markers takes so much time where yeah. the immediacy of being in the room and communicating with, you know, the musician, I don't think you can beat that. Like if you, you know, if you can do it, um, obviously Jeff's, he actually lives here in Washington state. I'm in Seattle and you're in Italy. So, you know, I guess you can fly, but sometimes maybe, especially during, during COVID, I think a lot of records had to yeah, get made yeah, this way. Um, so, uh, I mean, I can, you can make, you can make a record like that if you know, I mean, I never done, I never did a DGM record, for example, in, in we always been in the same room, but now we're working on songs and it's easier because we know each other since forever. Yeah. And my singer knows what I want. So it's like, I can call him, hey, that line is like, oh, I know, I know what you mean. Okay, no problem. And, yeah, and it's history. done in two seconds. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And that you don't, you know, you get to work with a lot of different great musicians, but you don't have the history. Uh, there's this like shorthand yeah, that course, gets, uh, there's a shorthand that gets created between you and others, you know, um, that makes the, the process easier because of the communication. Um. So let me, I hope I pronounced this right, but you've worked on the Leone Conti. Le yeah, Leone Conti. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two great singers. On these on these records, um, were you doing the right, it's kind of like the Sweet Oblivion, same time type yeah, of Yeah, exactly the same. Exactly okay. the same. It's it's a it's a method of work that the, the label at the time, Frontiers, they have with all their projects. They usually ask some producers and writers to put to write a record with a specific artist. And that was my first try attempt. And that was super fun because, because you know, it's, it's, they are both my friends. We, they, they always come to my studio to record their records. Oh, and nice. so it's really, it was really easy. It, it was like spending a weekend with, with the friends and okay, let's, let's sing the song, cool. I remember Fabio Leone from Rhapsody. It took it took probably two afternoons to sing the to sing the whole album. It, it was really that easy and fast and yeah and really cool working on that album. I remember. He's um he's with Angra now, yeah. I saw him yeah, with Angra. Also with Angra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got I got the um, good fortune to open for Angra. With, I sing. Uh, there was a local Dream Theater. Um, cover band opening for Angra, and I got to go up and sing uh, "Under a Glass Moon." So I was a, I, oh, great, I got great, to, great. I got to be there in the room, and, and then I stayed, of course, and listened to uh, to Fabio sing. Um, it was a great show. He's a great singer. So I wanted to mention that one. Um, you mentioned earlier this metal opera episode. Um, this Phantasmagoria. The I. You, just because I don't want to keep you up all night, I will just say about this that um, it received some great bon mots, as we say. The Encyclopedia Metallum, I think I'm saying that right, but it's one. It's a pretty good source uh, if you're a metal or rock fan for information. Some of the folks who do reviews there had this album up for album of the year, the year it came out, and it's got a you know it's a, a got a long list of very accomplished musicians that they pulled together for this sort of. Um, uh, rock opera. Uh, so, and, and uh, Simone was a part of that. The last thing I want to really ask you about, um, is, uh, the war of the world part two from Michael Romeo, um, comes out, I think in two days. So it's really timely yeah. that we, yep. we're talking right now. 
you did this record. You were obviously Michael wrote the record, but you engineered the record. Yeah. In your studio. Yeah. Most of it. Most of it. I mean, not, not everything like the first one, because I also did the first one. It all came together because of John, the drummer, because John now lives in Italy. Okay. uh, John Macaluso. And I know him since forever and he lives near Rome and he comes to my place to record to record drums all the time you know when he needs a studio with with one of his projects he's doing session work for hundreds of bands and he recorded in my, at my place and when and when Romeo called him to to record those two albums these two albums he told Romeo yes I'll do it but I want to do it in Simone's place so Romeo said oh but that's Simone from DGM so you know like links uh, connecting yeah. and so that that's when i started to talk to romeo i mean i knew him i knew him of course since the tour but you know we, we never been in touch because you know also i am a fan so i don't want, i didn't want to bother him as a fanboy you know yeah <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah i met him at all the symphoniac shows in italy i always come and hang with him a few hours but you know other than that it was pretty much nothing and then the opportunity came and then I started to talk him day after day about the drums, about the songs. And he was really kind to give me the opportunity of mixing and producing, basically. not producing because he's, he's the producer, but you know, I, I really tried to give all my ideas, you know, on everything, like on drum parts or he recorded bass and guitars in his studio in New Jersey, but he sent me he sent me all the raw files, so I had to reamp and create the tone myself. And you know, to be able to do that without being being trusted by a guy that you love as a musician, it's for me, it's a, it's the best experience ever. So, yeah. And also with the sing with the vocals this time, uh, Dino couldn't, of course, he couldn't fly here because of the pandemic. But I was I was the middleman because Dino was recording stuff. He was sending back to him to me, and I was telling him, "Hey, I know Romeo that he won't like that stuff. He won't like that phrase. Maybe you can you should change that in that way." I mean, there's nothing much that you can say to Dino. You know, it's perfect. <laughs> but but you know, it's a matter of taste sometimes. Sure. You know, I know that I know Romeo very well nowadays, and I know what he likes. So I was doing the middleman between them and then when dino was done and i was happy i was sending the stuff to romeo and basically it, it was 199.9 percent fine except for a few english words that i didn't catch because my english is terrible as yeah. you can hear your english <laughs> and, isn't so bad but yeah i mean mixing and record recording especially mixing those records the part one and part two is I think my, one of my highlight of my, I mean, I probably did records that sold more, but you know, as a, as a fan of, of the man himself and of the band, it's, it's like, it's like a dream come true to be able to work on these records and, and, beca- and becoming friends because you, here's one of the, the cases where when you meet your heroes, they're better than you had imagined before, you know? So yeah. it's, it's really a down to earth guy. And, and I, I really love spending time with him on the phone and in person. So, 
and the record is is i think the record is amazing so it's a great it's a great record so, and kudos yeah, to you because yeah. it's it sounds like you don't work on the same daw that romeo does what i don't do which daw no, do you totally use totally actually totally different system because i'm a mac and he's on PC. So we always fight about that. Oh, you should get Cubase. He always about Cubase. That's what he uses. And I'm using, yeah. And I'm using probably the only one in Italy or in the world that I'm using Digital Performer from Motu. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's pretty common in the, in the cinematic world because it's really great with syncing, you know, videos with audio and all this soundtrack thing. But I think I I think I know only one person in Italy that uses the, the, the software and we speak all the time on the phone because we're the only two persons. <laughs> but you know, I started with that 20 years ago in the studio where I started working. And you know, there's no point for me now now. I can really work without looking at the screen at the at the keyboard because I know every shortcut. Yeah. And and for me to start over with another DAW would be a nightmare, really. So when you were doing this this record, because there's so much other instrumentation, was he sending yeah. you like this is the virtual instrument I used for this, etc.? And you had no, 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 no. He sent me because otherwise I I, sh I should have like every library in the world because Romeo uses all these kind of different instruments. No, he's really great at that. He sent me, yeah, it's a lot of files because sometimes in the cinematic instrumentals you get like dozens and almost hundreds of files but it's so well organized and so well arranged that sometimes it's easier to mix a song from romeo with 200 tracks honestly than than mixing 20 tracks thrash metal from germany but the tracks are so chaotic and so well, bad played that i struggle <laughs> to bring it to do the mix so yeah, it's really, of course, it's difficult, it's challenging because it's a lot of stuff to merge in, into a, a fixed space, but, but it's, it's, it's really well done. So, no, it, print, it prints all the, the virtual instruments to audio. Okay. And, we also, and during these years, we also find a way to, to communicate, so not to communicate, to work a workflow so that you already does all the levels. The, the relative level. So when he gets me, when he sends me the file, I know that the strings, staccato strings at the bar 38 has to be that level because he already did that. So mm -hmm. I, I start from there and then I tweak, I tweak stuff. And then he writes me back, oh, I, I like them more like I did. So it's, uh, no, you, no, I mean, it's, it's really easy working with him. It's you really did, easy. I mean, he's a, he's a phenomenal talent. Um, I love the this record. I love the 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 variety there because there's obviously some real heavy stuff, but there's this some stuff that's virtually just all cinematic, and it's a yeah. testament to you as an engineer. Because um, I, I remember when I was looking for an engineer to do my record that has some other orchestration, um, I couldn't find. I, th I found one guy in all of Seattle that had any experience with it, and um, not that I needed to work with someone that was only in Seattle, but. It's a, it's, uh, it says something that Romeo would trust you with something so ambitious. Uh, and not just that, but that came out amazing. Like, I'm excited for people to hear this record. Um, I know there's, yeah, me too. they've got some singles out, but um, I think it's two days from now, Friday, the whole record drops. So um, I'll be sure in letting people know. Dino did a great job uh, singing on this record. I've had him on the show before. Um, 
uh, and you like be getting to act as a semi-producer because you knew what Romeo liked, uh, just to sort of probably cut down the back and forth. I think that's all really cool. Um, so what's next for you then? Are you, uh, are you just mixing and, and producing records as you finish writing the next DGM? Is that what's in your immediate future? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm always constantly mixing stuff. That's my main job. And sometimes it gets in the way of playing guitar and writing stuff. Because, you know, when you have stuff to do, deadlines, I'm mixing this great band from Spain. They sing in Spain. It's a sort of power metal thing. And, you know, they have deadlines, so I have to be finished in two days. And when it's like that, you know, I don't really have time and the mindset to sit down and, and writing and composing. So it's, it's, just, it's always in waves. You know, you yeah. ha I have the crazy month of mixing and then maybe I have a, a few weeks free. Then I can focus on DGM stuff. Yeah, but nowadays my main focus is to, to be done with the next one. And I'm actually... Yeah, yeah, it's not a secret. I'm actually, I'm actually writing two records at a time with DGM. And I don't know if they will be out at the same time, you know, because my, my thought in the beginning was to do like Opeth were doing in the past. You know, they were doing one acoustic album, soft album, and one heavy. Right. So that was my, my idea to write a way more soft. I mean, it's not soft. It's always heavy. I mean, not heavy. It's always rock, progressive. But that's what I'm doing. You know, I find myself writing. One day I'm writing this more like acoustic Pink Floydish kind of song with maybe a DGM solo in the end. And the other day I'm writing this double bass, da -da 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 -da, Symphony X kind of <laughs> style. And, and I think I want to reach the, the point where I have enough, enough material for two records. And I don't know if they will be out together or like separate in two parts, whatever. Yeah. Because I still... I still don't have any vocal lines or lyrics, so we don't know if it will be a concept because the, the second album, as we call in the band, the progressive one, it's really a thematic. I really writing like with the same theme. It's really actually a concept record in yeah. music wise, but still we, we don't have a, a theme for the lyrics. So we, we're still talking about that, but that's my main goal for the next one year at least my main focus that's well that's I exciting i love concept albums um the I, I don't know if i told you i um i got to work with john petrucci to do the novelization of the astonishing album i yeah, love you told me i oh, love it when great. when bands take on ambitious ambitious narrative um ideas and and use an album to, to communicate some sort of story i think it's cool um I, like that would be a real exciting development if that's how you guys decide to take it. Um, so the, the very last question, Simone is what's, is there in uh, something in your life uh, that you've always wanted to do? Like some, I call it the mountain you want to climb. Is it, um, it could be completely non-musical, completely non-artistic, but something you really want to do at some point when time permits. Oh my God. Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think it will be it will be that's that's I don't know it will sound silly but my dream is to mix an Ingve record. Okay. <laughs> really really I don't have any 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 much interests 
outside music because it's my life you know like both my daily job and my passion and my band it's always it's always music like 24 hours per day yeah but my the only thing that i keep thinking of you know it, it it's like or Ingve should do a, a record with a great modern sound, you know, and I will be, I should be the guy to mix it, yeah. you know, and, and that's my, my dream, but I never had the chance to meet him. I mean, yeah, I, I saw a lot of gigs, but it was because he's the real rock star in my, in my, in my head, you know? Yeah. So it's, 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 that's my dream. I think. Okay. That's a good one. We'll, Hopefully uh, someone will see this and tell him and, and he'll, yeah, and please. he'll look, he'll look <laughs> you up. I think all of your, your credits would commend you well to him as a, an option for a record. I think that would be a cool collaboration. Um, all right, my friend. Well, that's, uh, Oh, wait a minute. I had one last thing I meant to ask you. I, I saw one of the bands that you worked with. There's this folks can see the, the sheer scope of work that Simone does. If you go to his website, which is dominationstudio.com, I think. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so, you know, not to like flood you with a million bands that want you to mix, but you're out there and, and you're in business. But one of the bands I saw there was Aegis. Is that that Aegis project that the guitarist and singer for theocracy did, or is it something different? Oh my God. Which, which band? Aegis, A E G I S. I saw it. I honestly, I, I don't remember. remember. I don't remember because sorry for that, but it, it's really a lot of bands that I work with, and and sometimes maybe it's just I mix just a single, okay. or I did a mastering, so it's really like a two days thing, you know, just a few mails. Maybe I I master some great musicians and I don't even know them, so <laughs> it's 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 really the. Unless the guys are like, like coming back to me doing more records, then we became we become of course friends. But otherwise, sometimes it's really like one shot, you know. Like, yeah. oh, can you master my album, please? Okay, two days of work done. Yeah. And you never meet the guy, you never talk to the guy. So I don't know if it's. I'll have to the look. Guy that you uh, I the only reason yeah. I bring it I up check. is I saw I I fell across them recently and I was pretty impressed with some of the work they do. It's one of those kinds of things where it, a, a central songwriter has a vision and they invite a lot of um, celebrated musicians to come in and, and sing or oh, play okay. on the songs. Okay. And with this particular project, um, the money goes uh, is donated, I think for music education for under, you know, under um, privileged kids, I think is the, is the, Oh, thing. Okay. anyway, well, man, uh, I've kept you for a long time, but I, you have such a, you have such an amazing career and um, so much music that I think deserves a broader audience. And, um, uh, and it's it, not just because you, there's a lot of it, but because the attention to the quality is always present, like always, whether it's fully your thing or whether you've been asked to guest somewhere. Um, so thank you so much for spending some time. Um, it's been a thank pleasure you, to Brian. have you here. It was real, real pleasure. Real pleasure. Okay, um, if you do me one favor, stay on the line until I close the show, and I just want to say a personal goodbye. But uh, okay. for, for now, uh, take good care, my friend. Yeah, thanks for watching, everyone. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.